Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that we have that you would be with us when we gather together to worship. Father, I pray for the one this morning that's feeling isolated. Lord, they're disappointed because another holiday has come and they're not able to gather with their family, with their friends, with their loved ones. I pray, Lord, that you would bring comfort to those individuals. Father, I pray for those that may be struggling with illness this morning. I pray that you would bring healing into their bodies. Lord, we know that your word says that by your stripes we are healed. And so we ask you this morning for the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to be present in their bodies, and we pray for healing in Jesus' name. Father, whether they are battling a disease, whether they are battling an injury, whether they are in a time of recovery, Father, I pray that that healing power of Jesus would rest upon their, their lives, rest upon their bodies, rest upon their minds, I pray. Father, we're so glad that we can join together today, that we can have a sense of your presence among us, that we can have a sense of community even when we're separated by blocks and miles. Father, we pray today that as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would challenge us, O God. And Lord, I pray that as we come out the other side of this pandemic, I pray that your church would be more powerful than ever. I pray that your church would be more connected than ever. And Father, I pray that lives would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to the online service here at Silver Creek Church. I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day today. It's so great to be with you there in your home as we have church together today. I just want to start out this morning and I want to mention a couple of humorous things because I think that really that's something that we need to continue to do is be able to laugh and I've really thought that there are some things that I've seen in social media, some memes that have really been uh, really humorous. <clears throat> the first one that I want to share with you, it says, If you would have asked me what the hardest part of battling a global pandemic would be, I would never have guessed teaching elementary math. That has got to be true for a lot of parents, for a lot of moms this morning. And another one was this, a parent obviously posted this, and I'm going to guess it was probably a mom that posted it, but it says, homeschool day number one. How do I get a kid transferred out of my class? Now, I want you to just take a moment and think about the ramifications of that statement and what it really says, but I want to tell you what I know today that all around this world, that there are those who are appreciating moms in a whole new way, 
And I am so glad that we get to celebrate moms today. I wish that we were all able to be together physically so that we could celebrate in a way that feels a little bit more tangible. But I'm glad that we're together. Thank you uh, for joining us today. If you've got a friend, if you've got a mom, if you've got a relative that you'd like to have join us, uh, just go ahead and tag them uh, so that they can can take a moment and join us. We'd love to have them with us as I share this message on the lessons of motherhood today. I'm looking forward to it. I'm reminded that President Woodrow Wilson signed a proclamation on May 9th, 1914, declaring that the second Sunday of the month of May would be a public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. I think that's a great holiday that we have here that we can celebrate. I know that that even though my mom is gone, I miss her and I wish that she were here so that I could honor her. And uh, I do anyway, even in her absence. But I'm sure that you're like me, wanting to honor your mom today. But this declaration that President Wilson made was due in no small part to a woman named Anna Jarvis. And I did a little bit of studying this week on Anna Jarvis and her situation. And I learned that Anna Jarvis spent literally the whole, practically, of her life's inheritance in order to popularize what we now know as Mother's Day. But it's interesting to me that eventually Jarvis became bitter toward the very people that she reached out to to help her popularize this day. She had reached out to the florists. She had reached out to the candy makers. She had reached out to those in powerful positions. And she had gotten them to participate. And now she saw that they were profiting from something that she had worked so hard to build up. And at the end of her life, she found herself to be financially broke, blind, and living in a convalescent home. In her mind, Jarvis had always been able to trace the idea of Mother's Day back to a prayer that her mother had prayed at the end of a Sunday school class in 1876. You see, it was Jarvis's mother's original idea for this day. And her idea was that mothers would actually get together on this day as a day of serving the needs of other mothers who were less fortunate than themselves. You know, I am so grateful because I believe that moms are some of the most selfless people that we have in our culture today, and I'm so glad of that. And I'm so glad to be able to be celebrating you, Mom. We're encouraged. We want to we wanna lift you up. We want to speak encouragement into your life today because we know that your role in our families is so very vital. You know, there's a lot of people that might be critics of the church as a whole. And they might say that the church projects itself to be filled with people who have got it all together. 
And that Mother's Day is really a celebration of those people that just have it all together. They're perfect. But you and I, we both know that that's not true. We know that the church is not filled with people that are perfect or people that have it all together. The church is filled with broken people who have been forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, I want you today to look with me into the scripture because I believe that we can look at women in the Bible, we can look at these moms, and there are lessons that we can learn that I believe God wants to use to teach us something today, whether by their positive example or even something negative, where God wants to be able to teach you and I something today on this Mother's Day as we celebrate our moms. I want to encourage you, kids, if you are in the room with your mom, make sure that you are sitting by your mom. What a way to honor her today. Just let her know that you care about her. Let her know that you're there. Lesson number one, as we look at God's word, is that we need to trust God's timing. In the book of Genesis, we read about a woman. Her name is Sarah. Before her name was changed to Sarah, it was Sarai. She was married to a man named Abram, whose name eventually was changed to Abraham. God promised her husband that he would be the father of a great nation. That nation would bless all the nations of the world, and that those people would be more numerous than the sands on the shore of the sea, more numerous than the stars in the sky. God confirmed this promise to Abraham on numerous occasions throughout his life, but the problem was that Sarah was actually barren at that time. She had no children in which to fulfill God's promise. Now, you might think, well, that's no big deal. There's plenty of time. But at this point in Sarah's life, she is 65 years old and her husband is 75 years old. Now, we advance in the narrative another 10 years and we find that Sarah is now 75 and her husband Abraham is 85 and they still have no children and yet God has promised them an heir. God has promised a child that would be born from Abraham in Sarah, and that God was going to use this child and it would become a great nation. So the question that Sarah began to ask herself is, what should I do? And Sarah had this incredible idea. She thought to herself, I'm going to help God along because time is slipping away. I'm not a spring chicken anymore like I was when he first gave us the promise when I was 65. I'm now 75 and I'm getting too old to have children, so I think I'm going to help God along. We're going to read about it this morning from Genesis chapter 16. Verses 1 and 2 where it says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. 
Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah took Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Boy, I'll tell you what, this is a disturbing passage of Scripture because we see that Sarah wanted to be able to help God along, and we see that that Abraham was only too quick to agree to it. And then we fast forward another uh, few years and, and Sarah is 89 years old when she and her husband Abraham receive three angelic visitors who again confirm God's promise that they are going to bear a child. Her at 89 and Abraham at 99. We read in chapter 18 of Genesis verse 12, when the, when the angels confirmed this, it says, So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? But we know that at 90 years of age, God fulfilled his promise, and Sarah became pregnant with a son whom they named Isaac, which means laughter. She realized that everyone that heard that a 90-year-old woman had a baby and the father is a 100-year-old man, everyone that heard it would laugh because that's just too old to be having children. But yet God fulfilled his promise in their lives. She literally said to herself, who would have ever thought that I would be nursing a child at 90 years of age? Sarah felt like she had to help God along, but yet God came through on his promise. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What does that mean? It means that it may look in your life like the promises that you feel God has spoken to you have not come to pass, and that you are 65 and 75 and 89 years old, and there is no way possible, it is physically impossible for the promise of God to be fulfilled in your life, and so it's time for you to begin to help God along. But Paul says this, Don't become weary in doing the right thing because at the proper time, we're going to reap a harvest if we don't give up. That means that if we wait for God's time, that it's going to happen God's way. And it might look like it's the final hour in your life. It might look like it's the final hour in your family. It might look like it's the final hour in your situation But I want you to know that God is going to come through. The Apostle Peter assures us in his second letter that God is not slow in keeping his promises. You might think that it's taking God forever, but Peter said that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. In God's time, he will come through. He won't be late. You need to trust his timing. Lesson number two, 
don't manipulate. Genesis chapter 5 tells us the story of twin boys named Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older brother. He was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. And he was preferred by his father Isaac. Jacob was the younger. Jacob was a herdsman. He really hung around home quite a bit. And he was his mother's favorite. God had given his mother Rebecca a promise while she was pregnant that the older would serve the younger. And I'm not sure if that was the reason why the younger was her favorite, but indeed Jacob was her favorite. The prophet Malachi as well as the apostle Paul both refer to a prophecy that says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. So there was something between these two and mom chose Jacob. She was his favorite. Now when the father Isaac was getting older and he knew that he was getting to the end of his life. As was their custom, he knew that it was time to pass along the birthright, the blessing to his oldest child. So he called Esau into him and he told Esau to go out and to kill some wild game and to prepare it for him and to bring it in and to feed it to him and that he would then bless him. Well, mom overheard this conversation, and Rebecca went to her younger son, Jacob, and she told him to bring her a young goat so that she could prepare it just the way his father liked it, and that he would go into his father, who was now old and his eyesight was bad, and he would be able to steal the birthright blessing. The problem, as Jacob saw it, was this. Esau was a hairy man, but Jacob, his arms were smooth, and certainly his father would find out. We read about it in Genesis chapter 27, beginning at verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. Even though God had prophesied to Rebekah, she felt that she had to get involved. She felt that she had to manipulate the situation. She felt that she needed to trick her husband into giving her favorite son the blessing. In our lives, as things begin to move along and time begins to slip away, sometimes we start to panic and we think that things aren't going to work out the way that we want them to work out or the way that we need them to work out. So we decide that we need to get involved. We need to massage the situation a little bit. We need to manipulate the situation a little bit. 
I want you to know, friend, today that that is not what we need to do. The Bible says that God opens a door that no man can close. When God promises it, He will deliver it. I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will happen. God can accomplish His plans in the lives of our kids. He can do it in our spouse. He can do it in our situation without our trickery, without our manipulation, without our maneuvering. God can get it done. Lesson number three. God redeems. Lest anybody think so, I want to admit that people in the church are not perfect. We're not even close to perfect. In fact, the church is filled with people that have made serious mistakes in their lives. It also might surprise you if you're watching this this morning and you're not a part of a church family and you're not familiar with the Bible. It might surprise you that the Bible is filled with people who have made many serious mistakes. One of those people is a woman who was married to a man named Uriah. She had an affair with a man known as King David. Now, David was guilty of this as well, but he took his sin even a huge step further by having her husband Uriah killed in battle. Now the prophet Nathan, or Nathan rather, uh, God spoke this to Nathan and Nathan revealed the couple's sin and this situation was incredibly messed up. We read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 11 at verse 26 when it says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You see, David and Bathsheba thought that they could hide their sin and that no one would find out about it. I want you to know that the Bible tells us that we should be sure that our sins will be found out. David and Bathsheba had wrecked things just about as bad as you can wreck them. Sometimes the older that you and I get, we begin to see how our choices affect the direction of our lives and even the direction of our children's lives. Even when we make big mistakes, I want you to understand today that God desires to redeem our circumstance. Here on this Mother's Day, you might be sitting in your living room with your family gathered around you there, participating in this online service. And as you look around the room, you are reminded of, of different decisions that you've made throughout your lifetime and the consequences for those decisions. And I want you to know that God is not pointing a finger at you to condemn you this morning, but it is His desire to redeem every part of your circumstance. We read on about David in Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24, the second half of the verse, it says she gave birth to a son. This is now a second son. 
and she named him Solomon. And look at this, the Lord loved him. You see, when when David was confronted with his sin, he confessed his sin. God forgave him, and Solomon, his son, became a great king. God redeemed that situation. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this in verses 13 and 14, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. God has rescued you. He has rescued me from the darkness that we were in, and God desires literally to redeem us not only from our sin, but to redeem our circumstances. You might feel that you've messed things up. You might feel that you've made some really huge mistakes, but I want you to understand that God wants to redeem your situation. God wants to redeem your past. He wants to redeem our sins all for his glory and for his plan. Lesson number four. We need to be patient. I'm sure your home is nothing like our home and that you have never once lost your patience with your kids as you scan around the room right now. I want you to think for a moment and imagine what it would have been like, moms, to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I can imagine some of the conversations that they must have had that sounded a little bit initially like conversations we might have had in our homes. Jesus, I have told you a thousand times that I do not want you swimming in the Sea of Galilee. What do you mean you weren't swimming? You were, you were walking on the water. I see. And, and you saved your friend Peter from, from drowning. All right, okay, all right. Just let's not have it happen again. Young man, I thought I told you to have dinner ready when I got home from work today. 5,000 people you say you fed. I think that qualifies as dinner, yes. I see, you've got 12 baskets left over. Okay, there they are. I see, I see what you've done there. Well, let's be careful, okay? Let's, let's make sure that we're, we're not having this many carbs in our meals normally. I feel like being Jesus' parent could have literally felt like you could never win an argument about anything. Imagine trying to help Jesus with his geography homework. When, when you hear him comment on his homework that the world is not flat, and you say, Jesus, of course the world is flat. Everybody knows that. And Jesus said, no, it's round. And you say, what makes you say that? And he says, I created it. I think he would have us on that. But as, as amazing as his mother Mary must have been, she struggled in knowing what she knew. In John chapter 2, 
beginning right away in verse 1, we read about Jesus' first miracle. It says on the third day, a wedding took place in, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So here we have the story of this wedding reception. Jesus and his friends have been invited. His mother is there as well. And they run out of beverages. And Mary knows that her son is the son of God, the creator of the world. And like every other parent, she wants her son to let the world see who he really is. And up to this point, Jesus had not yet performed any miracles. She's literally pushing him. Now, we love our kids, but do you ever get impatient, hoping to see their potential, hoping to sort of coax it out of them? I imagine that's what Mary was doing. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Man, these are convicting words in light of our parenting. You and I need to, on this Mother's Day, learn to display an incredible patience. And finally, number five, get better, not bitter. The story of the book of Ruth, we read about a family that was from Bethlehem in Judah, and they left their home area for the country of Moab, which was fairly nearby because of a famine that was in their country. And while they were in Moab, the father and the husband, he passes away, leaving the wife as a widow with two sons. Her sons eventually marry two women from Moab, and the sons also both pass away. This woman, Naomi, is left without a husband. She's left without sons. She has no social security income. She has no 401k, she has uh, no income, no hope, and she is now responsible for taking care of two daughters-in-law. <clears throat> we read that she releases those women, her daughters-in-law, in order for them to, to go and, and to find husbands. They evidently are young enough to remarry, and she is going to return to her home in Bethlehem. And one of her daughters-in-law was named Ruth, and she refused to leave her mother-in-law. And In fact, she said, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I will die. And so Naomi realized she couldn't shake the young woman, and so she took her with her back to Bethlehem. And when she got to Bethlehem, 
the people that lived in that community recognized her from years earlier. And we read about it in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. The people were literally saying, hey, isn't that Ruth? Or excuse me, Naomi? Isn't that Naomi who moved away uh, so many years ago? And here's what she says. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Needless to say, Naomi's life had not turned out the way that she had wanted. In fact, I'm sure that she was incredibly grief-stricken after losing her husband and her sons. But I want you to know that Naomi did not allow that grief to, to keep her from helping her daughter-in-law Ruth. She did not allow that grief to cause her to become bitter, even though she, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. Literally, she was saying, God has made my life bitter, but she kept herself from becoming embittered. She, she decided that she was going to help her daughter-in-law Ruth. As we read the story, God provided someone from their clan who was called a kinsman redeemer. Someone that would have a legal right to marry this young woman, Ruth, who was a widow. In fact, he would have to go to the leader of their clan to find out if he wanted to exercise his rights as a kinsman redeemer to even see if he could marry her himself. I want you to imagine with me for a moment what would have happened in this story if Naomi had allowed herself to become embittered and closed herself off from helping her daughter-in-law Ruth. You see, as we read the story, Ruth then becomes married to a man in their family clan named Boaz and she gives birth to a son and they call him Obed. Obed then, as he grows up, becomes an adult. He is married, and he gives birth to a son whose name is Jesse. Jesse then, in turn, as he becomes an adult, becomes the father of a little shepherd boy named David, who would become the king of Israel. Naomi, whose name means bitter, became the great-great-grandmother of King David. And literally, we read in Scripture that Jesus is of the lineage of David. Naomi became a family member of Jesus, the Messiah. Hebrews tells us that bitterness is like a root that grows and causes trouble. In our lives. Maybe this morning, as you think about your life, maybe things have not turned out the way that you thought they would, the way that you wanted them to, the way that you had always planned that they would. Maybe you've never even told anyone this before. I want to encourage you this morning don't allow yourself to become bitter. The Apostle Paul simply says this, get rid of all bitterness. You know, as we read through the book of Ruth, 
we're told that those who knew Naomi said that God had blessed her life more than if she had had seven sons. Friends, don't allow a bitter root to grow in your life and to rob you of the blessings that God has in store for you. You know, I'm sure that this is going to be a Mother's Day that you will not soon forget. Many of us on Mother's Day, we go out for dinner at a local restaurant, make reservations for a big family gathering. We have lots of family over. Oh, it's just a wonderful time to be together with family, and there we are separated from our kids. You're stuck with that person who sits on the other end of the couch. I'm reminded of the words of Abraham Lincoln. He said this, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. This morning I want us to be thankful for our mothers and thankful for the lessons that motherhood has taught us. Trust God's timing. Don't manipulate. Remember that God redeems Be patient and get better, not bitter. I'm going to take a second and read that verse or those words again, that list. And when I get to the each one on that list, if you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning, if you if you feel his conviction this morning and that he wants to minister to you in one of these areas, When I get to that particular one, I want you to raise your hand so that we can close together in prayer and I can pray for you. Trust God's timing. If you need to trust his timing, I want you to raise your hand. Don't manipulate. If you sense that that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, raise your hand. If you need to remember that God redeems I want you to raise your hand. If you need to be patient, I want you to raise your hand. And if you need to get better, not bitter, I want you to slip up your hand. And I want us to agree together and pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Precious Heavenly Father, you see the hands that are raised in the living rooms of homes here around Marquette, throughout the state of Michigan, in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, in Illinois, in Indiana, in Georgia, in Arizona. Father, I pray that as those hands are raised right now, I pray that by the power of God you would begin right now by your Holy Spirit to begin to do a work. Father, for those that need to trust your timing, I pray, O oh God, for that spirit of trust to just begin to well up in their hearts. Father, to trust that you have all things in control. Lord, for those that struggle with, with maneuvering and, and manipulating the circumstance because they're, they're worried, they're concerned, they're fearful, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would bring that to you right now. Father, begin to minister to them, I pray in Jesus' name.
Father, for those that, that see mistakes in their lives that have brought about great consequence and their hand is raised, Father, I pray that there would be a spirit of hope that fills their heart because God redeems every situation. And Father, I pray for those right now that understand that they need a patience in their life as a virtue from God, I pray that you would begin to infuse them, Lord with patience, that they would not be worried, they would not be fearful, O oh God. Lord, and with those that fight off continually that spirit of, of bitterness that wants to encamp itself in their life, Father, I pray that they would reject it, and I pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit that they would continue, Lord, to invest in others, and that even though life has not turned out the way they wanted it, they will see that you have a plan to use them and that your, their lives can become better than they ever imagined through your power. I pray, Lord, this morning that these hands that have been lifted would be ministered to this morning as if we were standing around this altar, Lord, with our hands raised, with others praying for us this morning. Lord, with the instruments playing behind us, God, I pray that, that without those things, we would still sense your Holy Spirit ministering to us right now. And we thank you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It has been wonderful to gather with you today. Thank you for inviting us into your home. We pray that the rest of your Mother's Day would be really blessed and wonderful. I want to encourage you to make sure that you call your folks today. Spend time with your family. And, and don't just call them, but if you can FaceTime them, if you can do anything to see them face-to-face, -face, if you need to drive across town and, and, and just just have the window or the patio door between you and them just to see their face. Just make an effort today to be with your family, to tell them that you love them, and believe that God can redeem any situation. I want you to know that we are praying for you. I want you to know that we love you. God bless you. And I want you to know that this thing that we're going through, it's going to be over and we're going to move on from here. And as Ray says, we are one day closer. God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day and we'll see you soon.